Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Hello, and welcome back to HR Work Break. Today, I'm joined by Sean McGinty, Learning and Product Engineer at Simplify Compliance. Simplify Compliance, the parent company of HR Daily Advisor, helps customers learn, comply, and succeed by providing mission-critical regulatory and business information analysis and tools. John, thank you so much for joining me for Learning and Development Week 2022. Very happy to. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. It's really a pleasure. So just to start off, I was wondering what sort of skills and competencies you think will be most essential for the future workforce? There's a lot of different answers to that question. I look at it based on my experiences, research, opinion, and then uh, I go back to our impact statement here at Simplify Compliance. I think innovation, adaptability, and empathy are probably the three skills that are going to be most necessary today and 10, 15 years down the road. You know, you need to be able to think of solutions outside your current operating environment. You need to be able to change fast and successfully, and you need to be able to lead and understand your people. Right. And empathy is something that some people are, empathy and leadership for that matter, are some things that people are intuitive about. But how can current leaders teach their future leaders how to be more efficient and more effective and more sympathetic in that regard? It's a lot of patience. You know, those are intangibles, as, uh, as the NFL is so frequently likes to use when talking about quarterbacks and their leadership qualities. It's not that they can't be learned. It's just that some people are more adept at practicing them and they have the patience and the drive and the commitment to really embrace them because they know that they work. So from an L&D standpoint, it's patience, it's building in small chunks and not overwhelming people with information and data and giving them a safe place to fail. Failure is the best teacher you know, the better your environment or your culture is on embracing failure and seeing it as a learning opportunity, I think the faster it is you're able to adapt and change and put new skills into practice. Right. And you mentioned company culture. So do you have any advice on how to, A, cultivate a company culture that embraces learning and development, and B, really leans into failure as a learning opportunity rather than a setback? Yeah. I think it really comes down to giving your employees the protected space to learn. So creating that culture where failure isn't seen as catastrophic is more about how the company embraces and celebrates failure. You don't need to celebrate losing a million dollar deal, (laughs) but when people make a mistake, you see it for the opportunity that it is. It's the opportunity for not only that person to learn, but the entire team to learn because it's not just one person's failure. We don't work in a vacuum. We work as a team and it's celebrating that. It's creating badges and certificates and awards for failure and giving people the opportunity to talk through the failure what they learned from it, how they're going to be different in the future. That's how you can take failure and turn it into a positive and add to your learning culture. Those things really work. Yeah. And it doesn't cost anything to give people a virtual badge or print off a certificate. And they can be funny. They can be jokes. They can embrace pop culture. Not everything has to be so structured and buttoned up. 
specifically when you're trying to help somebody get through a situation that maybe where they've come from or where they grew up is seen as a traumatic anxiety and stress-inducing event, but really getting them to back away from it and look at it in a different light. You've got to make that space. You've got to help them overcome their past and how they've previously dealt with failure or how they've been taught to view failure. Right. Like you were saying, we operate as teams and people as individuals operate with their own personal history. Yep. And with what you're talking about, about like recognition and celebrating every step along the way, be it a failure or success, what effect do you think learning and development programs and that sort of like positive reinforcement culture as a whole plays on employee engagement? I may be a little biased, but I think L&D is the engine for that. You know, in most companies, your learning and development team, whatever you call them, has the most touch points with your employees, specifically new employees. During onboarding, they're there to hold their hand. They're there to be the voice of your mission, your vision, your values as a company. They're the people who have all of those important touch points within the first 90 days where you can see somebody decide that this is a great place to work or I've already started looking for another job. So I think that's where L&D is. They should be building content and messaging that teaches, supports, and elevates the company's mission, vision, and values. So yeah, that's why I call it the engine. So kind of on the flip side of that, if your check engine light is on, what can you do to update an L&D program that's not reaching its full potential? I used to look at this completely differently than I do today. And the dean of the Boise State Human Performance Management program came and gave a presentation at my local ATD chapter. It's a very holistic approach. You know, as a recovering engineer, (laughs) I'm a fan of a root cause analysis. So you don't get in there and go, you know what, all of the training material needs to be rewritten. Like that's a knee-jerk reaction. You come in, you do an evaluation, you do a root cause analysis. Your content may be solid. Your instructors, your L&D team, they all may be stellar. And there may be bumps and bottlenecks and obstructions down the road, preventing them from putting what they've learned into practice. It could be bad mental management. It could be a broken process. It could be that we've asked them to do something without evaluating their workflow. And what we've asked them to do adds an hour to each task. And now they're being ridden because they're missing their KPIs. So they have to go back to doing things the way they were doing them before they came into training. So when the reaction is something's wrong with learning and development, it's a, well, let's do a root cause analysis because our content and our instruction may be good, but we may have missed the boat on training people because maybe it wasn't ever a training problem to begin with. Maybe it was a process flow or a policy or something else that's getting in the way from people being successful. And speaking a little bit about success and learning culture... I wanted to ask about your opinion and also the difference between push learning culture versus a pull learning culture. Yeah, I have strong feelings about push and pull. Yeah. A push culture to me is where you have a gatekeeper on your content and you're doling out learning experiences as you see fit. The entire culture is based upon mandatory learning with very little choice or explanation or opportunities for self-improvement. And that's... You know, that is a very old school approach back before we had technology to make content available on every screen, at every touch point, at every everywhere in our daily lives. A poll learning environment allows us to open up our learning libraries for self-enrollment 
and allow our learners, our employees to do self-discovery, do self-improvement. You know, you're going to have those highly motivated, engaged learners who want to be better, who have drive, who have self-initiative, who know where they want to be in five years. And they want to get in the air, whether it's midnight, two o'clock in the morning, whether it's one o'clock in the afternoon during a lunch break, and they want to work on something. But if they don't have the opportunity to see what's available, then one, they're going to leave and go someplace else that makes them feel more welcomed and more involved and more cared for and more engaged. In a pull learning environment, you can still sit there and assign mandatory training. You can still set up libraries based on job role. You don't have to let your welding team take FMLA management courses, you know, that are normally for your HR management team, but you can let them take 40 or 50 workplace safety courses or equipment maintenance courses or leadership courses. Those are all things that can fit in their job role. I think the best example of an engaged learning culture that I've read about recently was right before the pandemic. There's a couple of companies in China that have integrated their LMS into their time clock. So when you log in to work, it serves up a five-minute or less micro e-learning based on your job role. Oh, cool. And when you go to punch out before it clocks you out for the day, it serves you up another one. So that's an everyday learning culture where their employee is guaranteed to get 10 minutes of skills development or maintenance, you know, reinforcement. And if you can take that and implement it with like a drip learning program or a spaced learning program, then you're fighting the forgetting curve every day. You're building your employees up every day. That's a healthy learning culture, in my opinion. Yeah. And so obviously implementing learning culture into your time clock is a really cool method. But what other things can leaders do to make learning and career growth, be it self-motivated or necessary for the job, more accessible to employees? I think everywhere that I've worked where we've kind of had a restricted learning culture, it's been because HR was afraid of people taking content off the clock. I look at that and I go, if someone wants to log into the LMS at midnight and take a course instead of watching a video on YouTube and get credit for it, that's their choice. You know, we're all adults. We all make our own choices. You know, they're not clocked in. They're not in the office. You know, I don't see a problem with it. It's always kind of been the back and forth between HR and L&D, at least in my experience, on uh, creating those cultures. But personally, remove the barriers. Make things easy to access. Make things easily digestible. Nobody wants to take a three-hour e-learning course. <laughs> That's very true. But nobody will bat an eye at a five-minute e-learning course or a 10-minute e-learning course. And if you've got 30 of them in a learning path or in a modulated course environment, one, they're not going to bat an eyelash at it. And two, every time they finish one of those, they get a little bit of endorphins and you know serotonin because they've successfully completed something and it makes them happy. It gives them a little boost in their day. You know, there's more to micro-learning than just making things small and bite-sized so that people aren't eating up their entire day going through training. It's also reinforcing some mental health aspects by giving people those easy wins frequently. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about employee engagement and recognition. Like if they complete every single one in a week, boom, little certificate, easy, positive reinforcement for that mental health aspect too. Yeah. It's an interesting time to be in learning and development post-COVID, current COVID, I guess it depends on whose definition you're using. 
But there's a whole lot more focus on everyday mental health and the things that we can do in our work environments to not only support it, but improve it. Doing little things that aren't noticeable, that you're not cheerleading about, but have a definite measurable impact. Those are easy to implement and it doesn't cost you anything. It's maybe a little more time on getting things structured and put into the LMS, but it's still great. Like it's still about the same amount of effort you would have done for a three hour course. Maybe an extra 30 minutes to save all those different files. That's a really cool approach. And I have one final question for you, unless you have anything you'd like to add. I can talk all day. That's probably one of my biggest problems. So, No, you're good. That's my way of saying, like, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think is like essential for the learning and development community to know or to learn about? Yeah, I think I'd like to talk about that reskilling and upskilling question. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't get to that. No, you're good. So I think reskilling and upskilling in today's uh, great resignation and worker shortage environment, you know, those are hot button issues, but they've been things that in the learning and development world we've been talking about since 2017. We've been telling people we need to start reskilling and upskilling our workforce. We have a whole generation that's getting ready to retire. We've got a whole new generation who wants ultra mobility and not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you're not implementing reskilling and upskilling in your workforce, you're not prepared for the future. You're not going to have the ability to backfill positions internally, which means you're going to have to go outside your company, maybe for senior leadership roles where their values, their vision, their mission doesn't mesh with your culture. And it creates probably even more resignations before they get fully integrated into your current culture. Right. Especially because it's more cost-effective to retain people than to have to continuously rehire. Yeah. One of my first L&D jobs was working for America Online, and we had a 200% attrition rating. So for every one person I trained, two quit or got fired. That's brutal. <laughs> yeah. It was insane. So, you know, reskill your people, upskill your people, show that you're willing to invest in them, show that you care about them. It will help you retain people. Money is not everything. If you've got a great culture and people enjoy working there and they know that they have a future there that is beyond their current position, it does a lot to keep them in place. Backfill your bench. I'm a big fan of using the NFL to explain a lot of things. <laughs> There's always a next person up mentality. You may have your starter, but you need a second and third string person as well, because whether it's someone quitting or whether it's someone resigning or whether it's someone getting sick and being out for an extended period of time, somebody has to be able to do that job and someone else isn't there. Exactly. And you touched a little bit on work-life balance. And since we've talked about work so much, my last question for you is, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Saturday, I'm taking my daughter and her friends to go do fall activities. Aww. They want to go pick pumpkins and they want to go to a corn or a sunflower maze. They're all going to be 16 this year. So the fact that they still want to do their things. If it makes you feel any better, I literally went um, apple picking into a corn maze like two weeks ago. So it never changes. That's awesome. You know, single father, 16-year-old daughter, those are the things that I love to do. That's awesome. And then Sunday, my girlfriend and I and my best friend and his wife are going to Charlotte to watch my Buccaneers pound the Panthers. I was going to ask you about football if you didn't bring it up yourself, but you're getting to see a game in person. That's so exciting. Yeah, I'll get to see Brady play for the first time. Nice. Oh my gosh. 
the only time I've seen him play is when he was playing as the Patriots, beating my Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so it must be nice that one of your favorite players is on your favorite team. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I think if you don't like Tom Brady, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> he is the living embodiment of drive and perseverance and self-improvement. Yeah. He's a great example for what we try to do every day in the learning and development world. That's true. He never stops working hard, which is essential in uh, everything we do, honestly. It really is. At the end of the day, it's a sport and people are going to dislike him because of the jersey he wears. <laughs> but he's fantastic. I've used him as an example throughout his career, no matter what team he was on. Well, I hope you have an absolutely fantastic time at the game. And I hope you and your daughter and your daughter's friends have a lot of fun pumpkin picking and whatever maze you hopefully don't get lost in. I'm going to do okay. I won't get lost. I'm tall. Oh, that's a good edge. <laughs> I can see the watchtowers where they look for people who are getting lost. Nice. You got an exit strategy already. Your daughter's in good hands. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a really great conversation and it was a pleasure. Maddie, thanks for having me. Again, I'm Maddie Collins and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.